Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. I'm Torrance. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're dangerously likely to negotiate. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. On Tuesday, Facebook whistleblower Francis Hogan, who was once a former product manager at Facebook, testified in a Senate hearing. Previously, she has stated that Facebook put profits over the safety of people and benefits from undermining democracy. Shock. Hogan also claimed that the company tells no one what happens inside the company and that the first step to regulating Facebook is being able to see its data. If not, Facebook will not be held accountable. This comes after Facebook and its other apps like Instagram and WhatsApp were down for hours on Monday, one of the largest outages from the company in recent memory. This outage woke up the world to how much it relies on one company to communicate. Facebook has nearly 3 billion users across all of its apps. Torrance Trell, Facebook is a behemoth company that really hasn't been held accountable to how they operate. Do you think the events of this week will change that? Torrance, let's start with you. For starters, you know, it's so hard for me because I understand how large of a company, you know, Facebook is and, and, mm-hmm. and Instagram and obviously WhatsApp, but I didn't even notice there was an outage because fuck Facebook. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but, like, like literally, like if it hadn't been for someone saying it to me, I was like, I actually didn't notice uh, and it did not affect my life one bit. Um, and I do like Instagram, but I simply just didn't notice that. However, um. I do think that this whistleblower is probably an important factor, and if anything, will probably be the reason why any regulation is even discussed. Not that I think that this is going to be some sweeping um, movement to regulate social media and specifically Facebook, um, mm-hmm. but we haven't had someone, an executive or or even any high-ranking official from any social media company whistleblow to this extent, and I think that hearing it right from what is that saying like the cat's mouth or whatever um like like i think like you know offers up an opportunity for deeper discussion about regulating facebook however i was you know watching some news coverage about this a bit earlier and the issue with the us not regulating facebook is is similar to you know like the tobacco company and not that they were hiding the data which obviously they're similar in that respect as well but that our legislators and our politicians look at them as opportunities for funding for their campaigns and not as industries that they need to regulate. And that's the issue. When Senator Blumenthal understands that Insta is a like thing, <laughs> not its own app, then I'll have faith that maybe our country will do something. Um, but will you, will you commit to ending Finsta? Yeah. Because alt Twitter is where it's at. Like, who needs a Finsta when you can have an alt Twitter account? Because if anything came out of the blackout of 2021, as it's being called, or what was it? The internet broke, whatever. Um, Twitter's the better platform. Like, it's more fun. It has memes. You are on there, like, ranking people's photos. Like, it's just a space to share ideas, to make jokes, have fun. Um, the bullshit around. Yeah, it's it's what MySpace was minus like your top friends and the other toxic pieces that now Instagram owns. Um, but I, yeah, it. Our legislature is too old, or our Congress, I should say. Sorry, I've been doing too much Idaho politics lately. Um, 
our Congress is too old to understand the functionality of social media. For most of them, they still remember when you used to go on Facebook to poke people. Um, <laughs> poke people. I forgot that was a thing. And we should all be concerned with the information brought out by the whistleblower, but for there to be substantive change in that regard, it's going to have to be a grassroots effort. It's going to have to be a movement of the people who use Facebook deleting their accounts and showing that this is a step too far. Um, And again, I don't know why we have this I'm surprised syndrome. The Mueller report clearly showed that um, during the 2016 election, misinformation was pushed through Facebook with little to no regulation or no regard. And it was never a secret that um, the executives at Facebook saw that as an opportunity to capitalize on money and use it later. So all of that to say, no change, but I do advocate just like Torrance um, that when the blackout of Facebook happened, I didn't even realize. Ironically, I was on LinkedIn when it all started. So maybe that says more about me. Microsoft. <laughs> but um, we just let it go. Like the only people who are on there are our right wing cousins, aunts and family members we don't talk to anyway. So what's the point? And boomers. Well, <laughs> Actually, now that you mentioned boomers, to all the boomers out there listening to this podcast, first we love of all, you. thank you. Second of all, yes, we do love you. Finsta is just fake Insta. It's just just like alt Twitter. Like, Twitter. like I have my main Instagram account, and I can make another Instagram account and make it a little bit more private. Is our dangerously likely dangerously likely account technically our Finsta? Yeah, because you use it to <laughs> test things out all the time. We technically have two Instagram accounts. We do technically have two Instagram accounts. One could be considered a Finsta. So uh, Blumenthal was worried about me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I Look, I... Um, These young I don't... women and women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just too mockable. I could not <laughs> I think that... I don't know if this is going to be like a major, like... I don't know. Facebook's not having a great week. They haven't had a great week in a long time. They've been kind of under the microscope for a while, but it doesn't seem they've been still skating by. So I don't know if this week's going to change much. Um, I think that like here in the US, like obviously Facebook has done some pretty bad things or let some pretty bad things happen on the platform, like like the effects of which we have partly seen with the elections and whatnot. In fact, no one's getting vaccinated. Yeah, and yeah, much, mass. much more, a lot more radicalization. Um, kill governors. Yeah, lots, lots of, <laughs> lots of stuff. Like we think it's like bad here, but Facebook actually, even though they're not doing well, they do have content moderation here. They don't in places like Burma, where they military is actively using Facebook to hunt down um, yeah. and persecute uh, the Muslim minority. Um, like there's a lot all over the world, like, like these oppressive regimes are using Facebook actively and Facebook has like one or two people that are monitoring their platform in these countries. And like when the outage went out, I also didn't notice it. Um, like I, I do go on Instagram more than Facebook, but I just, I just don't every day. (laughs) But here's the thing is like WhatsApp was part of that. And WhatsApp is like, has 2 billion people that use it for all their communication around the world. I still can't believe that. Which is insane. But like it, it does kind of highlight the power that Facebook has globally. Mm-hmm. And it also highlights the reliance that we have on one tech firm that um, if you go down, like it stops some of the world for a little bit. Like that's power right there. And we need to like kind of pay attention to that. Also, Twitter, better platform for sure. 
it's also like losing so bad to Facebook. Like financially, it's like well, losing it's also, money every year. It's also one entity compared to Facebook has bought up yes. a bunch of its competitors and keep it relevant. All but- I'm saying there is my MBA brain when I'm studying corporate strategy and I have a final the next day is saying, Twitter, you need to do something remind, <laughs> remind me to send you a TikTok, but also in the immortal words, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, break them up. I agree. And, you know, I just want to push on something really quick on, on this topic because, you know, I work, I'm working like a lot in a database right now. That's like obviously a little speck on the ground in comparison to Facebook. Right. And the amount of information that you can gather, right? The amount of data that you can gather um, is astounding. And I just think about leveling that to the the amount of data that, that Facebook can gather mm-hmm. that and how useful that information could be to helping democracy and how they have done seemingly nothing positive with that data, but have allowed that data to be the catalyst for a lot of negative forces on the internet and specifically on their platform. And I mean, when I talk about, when we talk about social media and specifically Facebook with basically anyone, like I don't know anyone who has a very positive view of Facebook and thinks that it's a positive and beneficial thing for um, our society, for young minds, for democracy. Yeah. And at what point is it so stark and so, so clear to us that this is, something that not only needs to be regulated, but needs to be reevaluated as, as its position in our democracy and in our society. I just, it's one of, I think we've gotten to that point where, you know, how I feel with a lot of other things that why aren't, like, why are, like, what is the excuse for not doing anything about it at this point, right? Like, it just seems inexcusable that we've done nothing to regulate it further. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. For the first time in over a year, the Supreme Court will convene for its official ju- judicial term where they are set to hear cases on some of our nation's most divisive issues, coming at a time when the court is facing steep criticism and the majority of the public disapprove of the job the justices are doing. According to reporting in CNN, in light of the recent criticism and poor approval rating, some of the justices have even begun an unusual campaign in recent weeks to convince the public they are not, as Justice Amy Coney Barrett put it, quote, partisan hacks, and are simply divided by their judicial philosophies. The unlikely unlikely speaking out in the face of criticism comes after the deeply divided court ruled late in the summer to allow a Texas six-week abortion ban to go into effect, challenging 50 years of Supreme Court precedent. All of the Supreme Court justices, except for Justice Kavanaugh, who has tested positive for COVID, are expected to sit on the bench Monday to start the first full term since adding Justice Amy Coney Barrett. The court ended last term with a jump to the right, ruling 6-3 to three on the last two most divisive cases, further emphasizing the impact that former President Trump's three nominees have had on the shape of the court. Quote, I think we may have come to a turning point, said Irv Gorenstein, the executive director of the Supreme Court Institute at Georgetown Law Center, said in a report to CNN. Quote, if within a span of two to three terms, we see sweeping right side decisions over left side dissents on every one of the most politically divisive issues, voting, guns, abortion, and affirmative action, the perception of the court may be permanently altered. Terrell, Caleb, we have discussed the court at length over the past year, and whether you, you are of the philosophy that we should add seats to the court or not, these sweeping, seemingly politically aligned rulings will have an impact on public trust of the court as an institution. What are your thoughts on that specifically? Caleb, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, I'll be honest. I don't follow the court as much as Terrell does. I'd actually be very (laughs) interested to hear his thoughts on that. (laughs) Personally, like I wouldn't be surprised if some of the public had already 
kind of has a mistrust with the court. Mm-hmm. I think it's questionable that the court should be deciding all these issues and like Congress shouldn't be. I mean, I understand like Congress is a bit of a mess itself to say the least. Um, I, I don't know. Like when Amy Coney Barrett said that it kind of felt a little out of touch. Like I felt like the court has been the shaping of public opinion about the court has been kind of altering the past decade and it doesn't seem like it's in a great place at the moment. (laughs) And um, I don't know, like it's going to be a big year and I guess we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I yield to Terrell. I want to hear his thoughts on this. Shocking. I disagree with CNN. Um, Let the court just go through the, the session. I, I also was um, listening to some reporting yesterday during the great blackout, if you will. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) and they were so focused on the fact that Justice Thomas um, asked the first question. Granted, he he had traditionally never asked questions. I think something that they're leaving out of the context here is he normally deferred a lot to Scalia when Scalia was alive. Um, but he has first question. And now everyone's saying this is Justice Thomas showing that it's his court now. Roberts is just chief by name, blah, 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 blah. Like, let the court go through the process. It's like a reality TV show. The court is because news networks. And it, I actually don't think it's anything like that, but I still think they're... You guys are going to hate me for what I'm about to say. Okay, go ahead. Um, I credit it a lot to the exact same reason people are really, really annoyed with Cinder Cinema right now. You don't get an inside look at what's happening all the time. So you are forced to, as a, a person, kind of make up your own narratives or kind of guess because the Supreme Court is one of the only courts in the country Actually, I think it might be the only court in the country that does not allow for audio recording. So there are still sketches that come out and we still get a um, stenographer. stenographer? Mm, Don't quote me on how to say that word. Um, Who types out everything and presents it. And then it's presented through the Supreme Court of the United States blog. It's not even sent out in some like formal way. So a lot of these outlets have fun of, not have fun, but find themselves kind of making up and trying to figure out what's going on because you don't get the same in-depth look that you would for a normal trial that you might see in your own um, municipality. But all of that to say, fun fact, I hate the Supreme Court. Um, if <laughs> When it was created, it was never intended to have this much power. It made a ruling that decided it deserved this much power because it, it felt there was no other body that was checking constitutionality and felt that the legislative branch, it's, role in checking the legislative branch meant it gets to decide whether or not the legislative branch interpreted the constitution appropriately. It's a really dumb decision that I argue should have been relooked at multiple times over, but obviously the body that got the power out of it is never going to relook over that. Um, But that's all to say, while I might hate it, I do think that for our country, we need to own the fact that the Supreme Court should not be our end all to be all. It should not be our saving grace. It is a disgrace that um, our LGBTQIA plus community received rights, not from the legislative branch that should have built it, but from the judicial branch that just interpreted a law and said, well, based on the Constitution, obviously they deserve to be able to get married. That is a, a marking of a failing democracy, in my personal opinion. 
Um, so yeah, I'm going to go on a long rant about this um, Supreme Court, so I'll stop there. But all of that to say, let them go through the session. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised because they're assuming how some of these justices are going to, justices are going to rule where I don't think they're going to fall exactly how people think they will. Well, yeah, that, I, that does seem to be the case. Yeah, and I do agree with you, Charles. There's, there's not much benefit of being in the prediction game when it comes to the Supreme Court. However, I think that the issue that we that we're facing is actually just a result of our system as a whole failing rep- yeah. repeatedly mm-hmm. our system as a whole is failing repeatedly we our politics are so divided that we can't get the things done in in the legislative branch that we should be able to um and then we've constantly had to defer to the courts who have mm-hmm. by due to our broken system are so skewed in one direction now because again, Congress is so broken in the way that power is leveraged in that, in that um, constitutional branch has now infected another that is no longer representative of the American people representative of, you know, where most Americans stand on a lot of issues. Um, I mean, we, we know this from, from looking at overwhelming compounding, um, polling on certain issues specific to abortion you know like if if obviously there was there was precedent with roe v wade but the fact that they even allowed this six-week uh abortion ban to go into effect flies in the face of public uh polling so i i I just think that it's all a result of of all of our systems breaking down and, and becoming less efficient largely due to uh our divided political beliefs right now i mean it's just it's yeah. It's almost like I can't understand what the proper step to start fixing these things is. Um, I mean, I guess I do uh, abolish the electoral college, but uh, <laughs> it's like that, that's a good start. We can move that into a tangent portion if you want. Oh, fuck. No, 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 no. Electoral no. college has never failed. Every other branch of our um, system has. Yeah. There's a lot of points <laughs> to debate right there. I think yeah, we yeah. should move. I was like, Let's I'm not even getting into that. Let's talk about what's happening in the world. Yeah, yeah, Trell. What's going on around the world? Yeah, Trell. All right, chill. (laughs) Let's go around the world in under a minute. I'd be remiss not to kick off with the largest data dump to date. Um, On Monday, the Panama Papers, some 2 million documents were released to the public detailing the degree to which money is sheltered across the globe. Shout out to um, Under the Desk News, a TikToker who I love to follow, that I'm sure Torrance and Caleb are annoyed from seeing me send so many TikToks from. Um, but they have the best reporting in this area and have done a really great job of dissecting the documents while also owning the fact that it's 12, I think I said two, it's 12 million documents um, and no person is going to really be able to give you the full wealth of everything that comes out of there. Um, but some 600 journalists from over 100 countries um, came together through the ICIJ um, to review all these leaked documents and really give a better picture of um, some of those offshore financial in- entities. Um, these documents mostly detailed information on Russia, the Prince of Jordan, Pakistan, and the family that runs Alberjan. Um, one fun fact that I pulled out of it that I also got from this TikTok <laughs> is that there were, this is still wild to me, um, there was 360 billion dollars that were being was being held in a trust in South Dakota of all places. 
Um, the TikToker actually goes on to explain how this happened, and it's very fascinating. So if you get a chance, I re really recommend checking them out. But um, the money that was being sheltered in South Dakota is also linked to some individuals who have some serious human rights violations. The Libyan government's unprecedented crackdown on migrants is being further criticized by the United Nations as possible crimes against humanity and war crimes. Investigators cite some um, 87,000 migrants have been intercepted on the coast since 2016, with 7,000 now in state-run facilities. Additionally, the panel found foreign mercenaries operating in the midst of the conflict, naming the Russian private military group Wagner Group as a potential committer of murders. Um, that was from AP News. And on the pop culture note, Billie Eilish is set to be the youngest performer to headline Glastonbury in Europe. She will be 26 months old on June 2022 for the festival, also from AP. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Better. But. Um, do, we, do we build? No. No. <laughs> we're negotiating here. We're not building. Damn. <laughs> but no, we're not building anything, that's for sure. <laughs> the infrastructure bill might pass. The vote's coming. Anyway, um, according to the House Committee on Budget, the Build Back Better Act makes the transformative investment at the scale necessary to meet the needs of American people. It will lower costs for families, create good-paying jobs for American workers, and deliver one of the largest middle-class tax cuts in history. That's what we're doing here. That's apparently what the Senate is trying its hardest to push through. And right now, we are at a stalemate with one major issue being two senators are saying that the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill needs to be lowered for them to get their votes. At the same time, the progressives in the House are arguing that they don't need to pass any moderate bills because they feel the need um, to really have some leverage here. So I want to bring this to you both, and I'll dive into the bill a little bit more, but I want to ask if the Democrats have no other choice and there is a need to drop this $3.5 trillion bill, which is completely paid for, I will add, down to somewhere between 1.5 and 2.5. Let's make it easy on ourselves. What are the things that you're going to cut? And I say that somewhat um, facetiously because when I say what are you going to cut, that incorporates a lot. Very much like the committee mentioned, this bill, this reconciliation bill dives into legitimately every aspect of American life and it really tries to finally piece together and describe what human infrastructure is. If we're just going on top numbers, um, a report from NPR shows that $726 billion is being allocated to health, labor, education, and pension committees so they can reconcile and determine what are the appropriate places to allocate those funds. A lot of it's looking towards universal pre-K, expanding the child tax cut, um, giving two years of free community college, and finding new ways to expand Pell eligibility for Pell Grants. 
Another $107 billion is being given to the Judiciary Committee so that they can address um, not only lawful immigration, which the parliamentarians already come out and said is not allowed to be passed in this reconciliation bill, but also look at different mechanisms and maneuvers for collecting taxes um, as that's going to be the way that we pay for this bill. Um, Can I just say we can ignore the parliamentarian if we wanted to? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you say that, then Mitch McConnell's going to do it and we're all going to hate that you mentioned it. So no, the parliamentarian rules because that's the only thing that carries between both parties, no matter. No, Democrats won't do it, but we can ignore it. No. Um, $135 billion for the Committee on Agriculture and Nutrition, which is actually one of the pieces I'm really proud of or really excited about as it relates to this. Not only is this bill looking to focus on forest fires and give more money money to the forestry, but it's also looking at SNAP programs and nutrition and is really, really focusing on child well-being, which um, a couple episodes back, Caleb Torrance, I know we were all talking about it. It hasn't felt like the government's done things for the American people in a while. And while I might be annoyed um, with everything that's happening here, this is one bill that really feels like it. Furthermore, there's almost $200 billion going to the Energy Committee to talk through how to better develop and invest in um, clean energy for our country. And then a whopping $332 billion to the Banking Committee that's going to look at how to invest in public housing, housing trusts, housing affordability, equity, community land, so many things. And like I mentioned we can get into the weeds and talk about each of those individual policies and how Medicare and Medicaid are getting a huge influx. Huge sounds worse than it is, but getting an influx to focus on dental and vi- dental vision and hearing, um, also helping lowering some of the ACA um, premiums. We can get into this notion of how they're going to regulate manufacturing, all of those pieces. But just hearing those numbers knowing the research that y'all did without carrying out too much of the wonkiness for our listeners, what would you cut? How are you getting this 3.5 down to, let's say my, my sweet spot is two 2.1. How are you getting it down that low so that you can get mansion and cinema on board? Well, both of those people would have to tell me what the fuck they want for me to get them on board. That's, well, you know, you're well, not in those meetings, so well, that's different. I think Mansion has, but we don't really know what Cinema wants. I, we don't. I think the we players, the players who need to know, I would argue, are because well, I have some she doesn't that she doesn't want the um uh, negotiating. Pricing. She doesn't want the negotiation yes. of of ph- pharmaceutical prices, which is maybe the most popular part of the bill. Um, which to that I say, fuck right off. Because it's pure <laughs> politics, and it, 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 I mean, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, like, right, like, I'm done um, playing nice politics about things that one do nothing to help our political system, do nothing to help the Americans uh, that need that help, do nothing to serve her own constituents, um, and fly in the face of the promises that she made while running for office. So, My constituents in this space, I'm done with that. Well, um, you know, the, I was like, I don't know, the residents of Arizona. I um, mean, the people who pay into our pact are kind of residents who like I'm being very nitpicky here. But <laughs> I will argue that my frustration, yes, with that, because obviously allowing Medicare and Medicaid to negotiate drug prices is huge and will help lower drug prices for all Americans. But you can find a middle ground there. 
Manchin, after giving us a laundry list of, I want the taxes to look like this, and I want the number to be 1.5, threw another wrench into the system by saying he cannot vote on this bill unless it includes the Hatch Act, which I, or Hatch Amendment, which I don't think has gotten enough press or push or argument. Like, He's gone on record and said in an op-ed he needs this anti-abortion amendment included in reconciliation to feel comfortable voting for it. That has no place here. Can you remind us what the Hatch Act is? The Hatch Act is an act that says that we cannot spend federal uh, taxpaying dollars to fund abortions, which already doesn't fucking happen. So it's really stupid. Um it basically is an, in an effort to cut funding to Planned Parenthood under the guise of saying that that fed that taxpayers do- dollars go towards um, funding abortions when really maybe maybe in some budgetary way does it subsidize the overhead cost of a Planned Parenthood that then brings down the cost of an abortion for the individual perhaps right like I'll, I'll but. There's no federal dollars going directly to fund an abortion for someone. That's just not happening. And so it's bullshit. And it's a political football that he's using to have more negotiating power uh, when, quite frankly, he has an in- a way outsized uh, amount of power when it comes to negotiating for this bill. And it's quite frustrating because it all seems in bad faith in an effort to capitalize on that power that he knows he has, which, yeah. like, fine, right? Like, I guess it's only human, right? But... It makes you a pretty shit one. I don't know. I have a few stipulations. <laughs> okay, Cinema, let's hear them. Tell us more. <laughs> Preferably in the open, not behind a closed door meeting. I've okay, I have a few stipulations. One of them might spark a different conversation. We'll see what happens. Ooh. I um first of all, I would rather not having to cut anything. I actually really like this bill. There's a lot of great climate stuff, childcare stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. I mean, it really is an omnibus bill and Trell and I have had conversations offline about like how we shouldn't really be doing things omnibus bill style in a big reconciliation package. And I actually do agree with that, but this is where we are right now. Yeah. And like, but I, I really do support like almost pretty much everything in this bill and I think everything should pass. So it sucks to have to cut things. <laughs> The other thing is, is that like, I'm a little bit annoyed here because like Mansion and Cinema are like wielding all the power when it comes to this reconciliation bill. But I also feel like progressives have the same amount of power and we always push them aside. It's kind of like a weird standard for progressives versus moderates. Like we bend to what the moderates want and not to what the progressives want. That's because they stand to the left. Like they are inherently like unbalanced. It's easier for them to be pushed off. I mean, I I get that. But in this particular situation, it is a little frustrating to me because I really do like a lot of the progressive policies that this bill comes with. Mm. Um, But we're catering to what moderates want and not to what progressives want. And I know that this is a weird situation and I'm not really sure if either way would have worked out, but... I mean, that's a messaging thing, Caleb. That's a messaging thing, in my opinion, right? Because we're talking about too much. We're talking about yes, there's you know Josh Gottheimer and like the the small the small number of moderates in the House that have been like you know kind of pushing back on this negotiation. But we're largely talking about two senators, right? Two senators, as opposed to a hundred and what like a hundred and four people that are in the progressive caucus in the house, which is nearly half of our um, majority in the house. Mm -hmm. So 
like that that's different. That's called negotiating. That's called using your power to negotiate, right? That's not being an obstructionist because we have such a slim margin in the Senate. And, and, and it's not, though, because here's the thing. It would be obstructionist if what they were advocating for in this bill wasn't also what the president and the leader of the party is advocating for. We can say it's the progressive the progressive initiatives, right? Because they are traditionally progressive you know, policies. Yeah. However, they are in line with what the White House is calling for in this bill. If the White House was so against it and was so moderate and in line with cinema and mansion, they would say so. And they would also be making different political moves in the negotiations to pressure the, the progressives to, to move to the center on this bill. And they're not because he agrees with them because they're the common sense policies to, to meet the problems that we have in our country. So this this people keep pointing to the progressives. That's bullshit. I mean, the White House did work to point. bring this price tag down because now we're looking at probably 2.1, which somehow, yeah. some way, Manchin came out and was like, oh, yeah, my hard number is 1.5. But now now I'm comfortable with 1.9 to 2.1, which is a lot smaller of a gap, which is helpful. Um, but two, I would agree with you, except for the fact that the self-proclaimed leader of this group, Bernie Sanders, directly instructed that portion of the House to withhold a bill that had bipartisan support, that had already gone through the struggle, and say, yep, no, don't pass that, which is obstructing the process, because we want this to get through too. We've already come out and had to say multiple times that these two are not linked because the 10 votes we need in the Senate, they all revolted the first time the president said, oh, well, Yes, we're passing the infrastructure bill and we're going to pass reconciliation. The conservatives have made very clear they don't feel comfortable with that. They don't feel comfortable with the potential that their name might be tethered to that. And the White House did a very strategic job of saying these are two separate things. We're going to go it alone on that one. We don't need y'all. We're going to do this. But Bernie Sanders kind of said, fuck the pot, like, fuck the plan. Fuck what y'all are doing. I'm going to obstruct and hold it because I want this bill. So I do think there's some room to say there was an obstructionist tendency at least in the last week and a half that we've seen out of the house but that's their own their own negotiating tool though i mean that's that's the that's the sole negotiating tool that they've had given um the dynamic of the negotiations right now because we here's i mean history will has told us they will they will 100 percent not vote for this reconciliation bill if we pass that bipartisan deal that won't happen. That absolutely would not happen, and I don't think anyone is in doubt about that. Whereas, we aren't like that. I think they're saying it, but I don't think that we would just not vote and we'd let nothing happen. That's not That's not the nature of the Democratic Party, and it's kind of our weak point. The fact that mm-hmm. we would rather get something than nothing for the American people in a way that the Republican Party doesn't. Fair. That's definitely fair. Yeah. And I think, to Yes, I see that bargaining chip piece, but also I think there were, again, I, we kind of touched on this a little bit before. I think a lot of people are frustrated with Cinema because she hasn't put out an op-ed saying, here's exactly why I'm not going to vote for the bill. But what we do know from reporting out of the White House, um, from just calls that she's had with the Speaker of the House, with Schumer, she is actively in meetings with people, or at least has been. Granted, yeah. she just went to a fundraiser, and that's caused some other issues, but we'll leave that for another conversation. Um, I feel like you can get the signal there that at least the 
people and the players who were halting this are saying, no, we'll meet, we'll talk, we'll have conversation, we'll figure it out. You don't have to hold up the infrastructure bill and at least get one win so that you can also kind of shift the focus for the American people to why is this bill matter? We've talked about this a lot of times. We we dived into it here, all the different sprawling areas that it's touching on. We don't get to talk about this because we're too busy talking about is infrastructure even going to pass? What what are the Democrats going to do with reconciliation? Because it's all become this mushy, ugly conglomerate that no one can fully understand anymore. I think it's also like, I do want to say that like, we're all talking about 3.5 trillion. That's not like what we would spend right away. It's over 10 years. What is that? Like 350 billion a year. That's like besides without the offsets, that's really not that much of an increase in our budget regardless. I 2 trillion is still a lot of money and it'll still do a lot of good. I just like would rather not have to cut things from this bill, (laughs) but I guess if we're going to go into it, um, I went through the bill and there's so much stuff. I know I've missed stuff. So this is not an all inclusive list of things, but things that I would love to stay in the bill and I didn't do any math or anything. I don't know what it comes out to, but um, I'm kind of there too. I'll do better if I can tell you what I want in it, not what I don't want in it. Yeah. So like what I wanted it is like the perfect world, whatever you say, that will just equal two trillion. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I definitely want the $80 billion going to grants to like rebuild schools and update their technology and make sure that they have uh, internet and whatnot. Um, that, that's $4 billion to make sure every school has like a good internet connection. Absolutely. Yes. Let's do, let's keep the investments in free school meals. hundred percent. People need that. Um, I don't know if universal preschool is going to make it in this, but I noticed that it said for three and four year olds, maybe if it's possible to do universal pre-K for one of those years instead of two, maybe we can keep it in. It's not. Are you shaking your head? I just disagree. Oh, <laughs> me too. Continue. I mean, I mean, I disagree too. But if you no, really have it. to cut something, like if like, you need to find a, a can we still type do of something? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I actually, um, I think I actually wrote would support. I don't really support it. So one of the provisions in the bill is to uh, have free community college, and I actually Only don't, two years. That yeah, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's gonna make it. But what I think should stay in is. Um, for tribal schools but what do you want that's what i said not what do you think is gonna make it what well, do you want well i mean i think we should have it but i'm more in support of keeping it for tribal schools specifically hmm. okay um i want the two billion for black colleges and universities tribal colleges and universities and minority serving institutions to improve research and development infrastructure of course you want the four billion for nasa i want the four <laughs> billion for nasa to update its physical infrastructure and facilities because i think space is important and that kind of research is important. I don't want to cut anything from climate and transportation. I want Shut. I want to electrify all the fleets. I want to have grants and incentives for green energy funds and yes, all the fleets. <laughs> I want everything climate needs to stay in. We're just because, gonna turn into Wally, huh? Yes. It's not like the climate stuff already, like it's a lot. It's not gonna be enough. We need to keep it all in. Um healthcare, uh it actually does shock me that Medicare doesn't have dental vision and hearing coverage. We should definitely keep that one in. Um, we need federal drug price negotiation. Expand the ACA into the 14 states that opted out um, during the original expansion. And obviously everything childcare, keep it. Um, housing. 
the biggest thing in housing to me, and I didn't go in as in depth in this part that I should have, but the biggest thing in housing for me is probably um, the $80 billion to uh, build affordable housing across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tax reform. Uh, look, I think all the tax stuff is great, but $80 billion in IRS enforcement. That's important. I need that to stay in, please. <laughs> like, I need the IRS I thought you to were be saying able to how do we something. get the other money. It's yeah, that's how, how we're we going to pay money. for this by yes. enforcing the laws, right? Like enforcing the laws that are already on the books to collect the taxes that we are owed as a federal government, so we can pay for the services that are creating a better society. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, yeah, I that non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> Which is are so rich that the Republicans don't want those kinds of things in, right? Like they are the right. law and order fucking party who the only laws that they don't want to enforce are the laws that are going to take money out of the pockets of their donors because they're evading tax laws. It's mm. it's frustrating. Um, and then lastly, you already kind of mentioned it, but the agriculture conservation drought and forestry programs to help mm-hmm. reduce carbon emissions and prevent wildfires, child nutrition, and then more clean energy investments within that sector. Basically. I mean, obviously, these are just a few highlights. The bill is huge. Like, if you get so, dive into the details of it, like, you'll read for, like, a few days, I think. Like, yeah. I – so, uh, this is not an all-inclusive list. It's just kind of some of the stuff that immediately on the top keep. Honorable mention to <laughs> for me. the Pathway to Citizenship for Dreamers for me, but – Oh, again, well, parliamentarian. But, but, yes, but that's that. – you're right. Like, because, yeah. like, that is starred on my sheet, which is, like, uh, you know, just – my heart says, I mean, we just need to figure that out, yeah. you know? It was a promise. But we, we need made. to maybe separate it because, quite frankly, that is, when we're talking about the voting block going into, if we need something that's going to fire up our voters, let's put that on a bill on its own. Yeah. Because it's our country, especially young people who might not be as inclined to come out for a midterm election in 2022, we care about that. Mm-hmm. We care about, I mean, we, we because our generation have gone to school with. And have worked with these young kids who are our age, who were brought here at, you know, in their parents' room, are, you know, at one years old, two years old, three years old, to no fault of their own. And their entire life has been handicapped because of it, because we haven't given them citizenship. And yeah, I, I think that that is a good, is a good midterm uh, argument to have. But back to what, you know, to this bill, I broke mine down into like a few different kind of like areas. Okay. That I don't want to see leave the bill, which are education. So like a lot of the education related and I, and with that, I include the funding for, um, for childhood nutrition at schools, mm-hmm. um, and additional snap and snap funding. Um, because I think that that's just very, very important. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a recipient of, uh, free and reduced lunch and, and school. And I just, you know, I know, you know, some of the circumstances in our life when I was a kid and the idea that I wouldn't have had a meal at school during the day, like would have been detrimental to my education experience and probably would have, I would have performed much worse. Um, And I was a great student, you know, like, I just think that like, we can't allow, I think that we talked about this when it comes to to education and specifically to these policies that deal with um, children is that the quality of life of children in our country, that is the measure of our ethics of our values of our mm-hmm. morality as a country is mm-hmm. what what is it like for as a young child who has no agency um in the world how what is their life like and i think that that's like we we have to remain focused on that but i think that that's the issue with policy right is that we don't think about the human impact enough when we're having the conversation about it it's all very arbitrary and abstract even when we do mention the impact on 
quote unquote Americans or average American families, but no, like how does this show up in our school hallways? How does this show up in the lunchroom um, at the doctor's office in their access um, uh, to certain services? So I just think that that's a really important point that needs to, that needs to be made. But Mm -hmm, as far as education goes, I think that the post-secondary, I would like to see the community college um, infrastructure to stay in. I'd like Mm -hmm. to see, uh, I would like to make sure that obviously universal pre-K stays in, that childcare subsidies stay in, that, um, I mean, and those are, and those fix much bigger problems, right? Not just giving a safe space for our children to go after school or before school or while their parents are at work, but it allows women and specifically women, but it allows women in our society to go back to work without having to worry about making the decision between, can I make enough money working to justify paying for childcare? And I know people personally that have to make that decision and it's too often that they have to choose not to work because of the cost of childcare. And I think that these are like... I'm thinking, I'm thinking to like, what can we cut and what can we not cut is like, what are the, what's the impact this is going to have on society and how is it going to change people's lives? And those specific policies are the ones that I believe will change the lives of Americans in a very tangible way. Um, Because when we talked about this in terms of um, governing as, as a democratic party is we have to pass things that are going to show up in people's lives so they can, so we can say, here's what we've done for you. We're the party that's governing and trying to actually improve the lives of, of, of average Americans, quote unquote, when we say that. How did that show up for you when we asked exactly. for your vote again? And I think that that's going to be an important uh, factor in whether we flip historical you know, expectations in this mm-hmm. midterm election in 2022. And I think that it's possible if we actually pass these things. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, I said environment. I, I know that you guys are on the same page. This is the last opportunity I think we're going to get for a while, especially if we, if we lose the House in 2022, to pass any environment um, and climate change related policy that is going to save us from ourselves. And that is very intentional language when I say that, because mm-hmm. our disregard for climate change, um, despite us seeing the consequences in real time, has still not lit a literal, you know, a, a pun unintended, a literal fire under the asses of our legislators to pass policies that are going to protect us from these, uh, from the impact of climate change. And so I just, I don't think we can afford to, I mean, literally, uh, fiscally and just in general, afford to not pass these climate change related policies. Um, in addition to that, I think that the healthcare is really important. And I want to touch on this. I think it's important to talk about how does this change? Um, and if at all, maybe it doesn't because we're too politically divided. But, you know, we, a lot of boomer generation, a lot of older generations who people who receive um, Medicare, a lot, I think, I think largely skewed to the right. And that is a party who has not has continuously not done anything for them, right? Um, in, in addition to that, I, we're talking about the long-term care facilities, right? And at-home care um, funding that is in this bill that is really important, I think, to the older generation. The Medicare funding that covers dental, vision, and hearing. I mean, I know people have talked about this, but the idea that a program set up to take care of the elderly in our in our society doesn't cover dental an age when your teeth are falling out and you need de- and you need dentures right? vision when your vision is going and hearing when your hearing is going i mean it's almost i mean it's not almost it is asinine that we that it does not cover that when it's literally designed for that specific population who is facing those specific issues in their health i mean it is yeah I mean, what the fuck how have we gotten this far it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's insane it doesn't make any it, sense at all it is it's just so illogical um and then i can't you know i would be remiss if i didn't say specific child tax credit um mm-hmm. i just know so many people who this has 
had such a impact on their lives right now, receiving this tax credit each month um, for their children. And, and I know and love people who, who this has had such a positive uh, benefit for them and has allowed them to offer more to their children's lives because of this, this small assistance. We're talking about a couple hundred dollars, right? Like, that's not a lot of money, yeah. But it's it's having a huge impact on people's lives, and I think that that's something that um, that that's something that will show up at the voting um, booth next election, and then 100%. housing, just because housing is such an issue um, in our country. Affordable housing, access to public housing. Um, we need to update our public housing infrastructure, and I also think that that in, mm-hmm. in conjunction with that, I haven't read the details of the bill quite as much, but are we outfitting public housing with the proper climate uh, change related infrastructure, such as if we're going to start mm-hmm. with, with, with greening our energy, why on earth as a country who we're obviously paying for the upkeep of public housing, why are we not putting solar panels on those houses? Why are we not setting up the people who need those services with the opportunity to truly get a step ahead, right? Like if you're in mm-hmm. public housing and you're getting that subsidized housing already, then why don't we make your bills cheaper for you so that you can you can move beyond the need for this public housing um mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's there's a we have an, an opportunity to make some intelligent policy decisions that are going to um have long lasting impacts on our society and specifically on our economy as well and i just think that um we would be remiss to allow this opportunity to pass us by um, among just so many other things in here because the bill is full of really great provisions so what I'm hearing is you wouldn't cut anything, which is ironic. No, I didn't talk a lot about some of the, you know, like the supply chain things, the pandemic related stuff, right? Like pandemic knows. preparedness, which like I got, I, if not, if, if you, you had to, to choose, really yeah. quick, right? Like if I, if I had to choose, I would say no, but like, I even like I say it out loud, I start to be like, what the fuck Torrance? I mean, the Republicans and the conservatives in our, in, in our country, the anti-vaxxers have shown our hand mm-hmm. on national security when it comes to a biological weapon, right? Like, they will not take a vaccine. They we will not do what's necessary to keep prepared. us safe. I yeah. mean, we actually do need to be prepared because we've shut our whole damn hand on it. Well, the reason I say that is because, and this is probably going to shock you all, I wouldn't cut anything. Like, I, well, as yeah, someone, I don't want to cut anything either. As someone who, <laughs> as someone who understands, the, you forced us into this exercise. <laughs> yeah, as a, yeah, uh, I've changed it as a facilitator. Um, as someone who has been very outspoken of like, I get the reluctance to to do this $3.5 trillion bill and talking about the number and how it's paid for, blah, 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 blah. That part I get. And I think it was in that, that I, I changed the calculus here of, I said, would, what would you cut or what would you change? How would you get the number down? Right. My argument is raise the corporate tax cut or the right. corporate tax rate more. I think it's, yeah, okay. it's only going up by, by 2% or yeah, something. It's, it's up, up to 27, which is where it was, if I remember well, 21, correct. that's like a 6% increase, right? Oh, 21 to 26. Yeah. 21. I thought it was 27. I'm completely off there. Something like no, that. No, 27, I think, was the original yes, and proposal. They've, again, walked it down. Um, but it's moving up closer to where it was around the, the point that um, the Bush tax cuts came in. But what we, we tend to forget and ignore is... Not too long after that, it was over 30%. Corporations were paying over 30% in taxes, mm-hmm. and they were fine. They were flourishing. It, it ushered in um, our internet and, and just this amazing boom that the Clinton administration saw. So that's the space where I started to focus in a little bit more of, no, uh, 
while I might disagree with Bernie Sanders on an ideological standpoint, I can understand his frustration here and his willingness to say nothing needs to be cut. We've we've hit that threshold. What we need to start thinking about is, is it in its complete and total fairness? And is there a space and place to have a different kind of conversation? Obviously, every lobbyist and their mom would come and attack me immediately if I said, no, we're pushing that corporate tax rate over 30% and we're going pre-Bush to just do it. Um, but that's the kind of substantive change that uh, we talked about this off air because I've become a little bit of an anarchist in the last few days. Um <laughs> But that's the kind of substantive change that will bring Wall Street and Main Street back together finally. That will help us all understand what it means to function in a country, but also stop allowing entities that have this unfathomable amount of wealth to exist, not because they actually own that wealth, but because they have it in stocks. And until they take their money out of stocks, that wealth just sits there and accumulates and becomes this number that no one can really match. You have literal businesses that have more money than countries. It's those kind of issues and things that I really think if this reconciliation bill was to be a little bit more um, radical, that's the space and place where I started to focus in on like, no, I'm not cutting anything. I'm just going to make someone pay more. Terrell said a little more radical. That's, that's, you heard it here first. Yep, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, and you know, I would, I think we'd be remiss because we did get into like the the details of the negotiations that uh, one of the things stalling that right now is this kind of standoff with the debt ceiling. And I just think that this is a perfect opportunity for us to uh, just touch on that one more time and, and to, ex- well, yeah, to, get, to get rid of happen. it, but to also explain for anyone who happen. you know might no. not have been paying attention in recent episodes about like, you know, what the debt ceiling is, because even I ignorantly up until like, I think about two years ago was thought the debt ceiling was, Oh, th- this thing that was mitigating our ability to spend more, mm-hmm. which like it is, but it's not to but spend not more uh, additionally, right? Like to what we've already spent, but rather to borrow more to pay for what are we have already spent, uh, mm-hmm. the debt that we have already accrued, and I think that that's super important. So basically, you know, for people who have not been paying attention, the the Republicans are kind of keeping us in a stalemate, refusing to pass the debt ceiling limit um, and increase the debt ceiling when what we're what we're deciding to pay for is the seven plus trillion dollars that was just accrued over the last administration. The the two point yeah eight point one the 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 two plus trillion dollars, two and a half trillion dollar tax cut that was given to mostly the wealthy and one percent in this country that the that the Republicans passed in the previous administration. Again, that with still the led to a recession. You that know? still led to a recession after being projected as, oh, it's going to do these amazing things and it's going to trickle down into American workers. Still led to a recession. Multiple Americans lost their jobs. And now people are frustrated that those same Americans who are working in the quote unquote essential jobs of working at your fast food restaurant because you're too lazy to make your own food or showing up to do some of these other minimum wage um, asks are also banding together and saying, no, we're done. You didn't treat us respectfully in a pandemic. You clearly don't care about us. And we were doing this, not making enough money to even survive in the country. So yeah, again, why I kind of focused a little bit more on like, let's tax the corporations more. Trickle down economics doesn't work. Correct. Never has. <laughs> Show me the proof has literally never worked. Never. So it sounds like nothing changes. 
we find a way to circumvent Cinema and Mansion and just push this through, which is a, <laughs> a stark departure from anything I've said on this pod in a while. It's a, but the negotiation sounds like we still land at about where we were to begin with. Should it have the gone growth. this way? Probably not. Should this what? Should this be what the legislative process is? No. Should we pass three and a half trillion dollars in a reconciliation omnibus bill right now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, what? Are we contrarian again all of a sudden now? <laughs> I mean, we just need a the, the listeners' neck is hurting. You are giving them whiplash. We need to talk about it in a different way where you're like, should we just pass $3.5 trillion while we're also having arguments about all these other spending problems? Eh, but here's that the thing. sounds inherently bad. Now, when it's we say should, bad. but now when we, we say should we it. should we be passing a bill that is equi- is focused yes. on equity? Yes. Talk all of a sudden. <laughs> um, that's focused on equity. That is looking at housing differently. That is providing the much needed benefits that Americans need. Yes, I can agree. Absolutely. With that. Like, should we should we pass a bill that addresses the issues we face and is paid for because we are updating the tax code? Yeah. Right. Tell me, was that $2.5 trillion tax bill paid for? Fuck no. No, it wasn't, which is why we're here. Well, actually it was, but what the Democrats, and this is another piece that we're leaving out, and, and I'll say this and then we can wrap up, but the paying for that bill actually goes into effect this, ta- this tax cycle where all of middle class taxes see a hike. I know a lot of people don't realize that, but that's another important reason why this reconciliation bill needs to pass now rather than later. Um, Did they be- take that hike away in the reconciliation yes. bill? That's what I thought. Because without it, the middle class will see one of the largest hikes. It's seen like a six percent increase yeah, to pay for all of the tax cuts that they're giving to the top what twenty five percent. I think it is. Eh, that sounds big, but I think. And I wonder like- why, guys. Why did that? I wonder why that that was uh, to kick in at this point. It's almost oh, like our good our good Republican friends are setting us up. They purposely us, wanted to make it past the election, setting us up, but also they could just extend it if they were still in power. It was yeah, their insurance also, policy, right? They also it would thought go they up were under us, win. or they would say, "Oh, look at us! We're going to cut it six percent." Yeah, pure politics. Fucking ass. They really like. If we're being honest, and Mitch McConnell was very transparent about this, they thought they were going to keep the Senate, and it was going to be an easy space of, "Hey, we're going to do some budget reconciliation. We're not going to go nearly as far, but we will cut middle class taxes six percent, i.e., not allow for that tax hike to come." And kind of give you a win, but mostly use as our own win because we created and orchestrated the bill as a Senate. But now, because Mitch McConnell can't get that type of win, he's actively stopping it. Limited government, my ass. I know, they really just give me, I mean, if I die young, it is their fault. Put it on my fucking gravestone. (laughs) That's debatable. (laughs) I died because of the Republicans. (laughs) I mean, you could probably link it back to them to some extent. (laughs) Son, brother. Democrat. (laughs) And on that note, definitely gay. Uh, (laughs) We will be back. (laughs) All right, Caleb, take us on a tangent. All right. My tangent is about how dumb Idaho is. Or are you going to introduce a new yeah, concept? Like, do you mean because of the whole like governor, lieutenant governor thing? Do you mean yes. because Boise State can't win a game to save their life? <laughs> no. Do you mean because we have a committee on federalism? Federal, 
Yeah, federalism. That Some, something stupid. Meets. Okay, I was pausing for dramatic effect, <laughs> but um, let me list the reasons. So, so just today, today's Tuesday. We record on Tuesdays. Um, Everyone knows that at this point. I know, <laughs> but just today. So for every time, I don't. I don't know if this is the same for other no. states. It's not okay. Every time <clears throat> the governor and our governor is Brad Little. Every time he leaves the state, the lieutenant governor who is was completely suddenly, against big government gets to be in charge. Well, well, that's normal. Big yes. government. I don't know. I, could you make that argument? Because she's making. Are you telling me that he doesn't have governor gubernatorial power when he's not within state? Yeah. Like, so the lieutenant yeah. governor becomes the acting governor. That's how it works here. So yeah. right now he is in Texas. So if he goes because... to New York for a fucking interview, he's not governor at that yep. moment. Yeah. Like he's oh, in Texas. I, he's in Texas right now, and he currently is not. He's not. He's, it's not that he's not governor. It's just that he he delegates the authority. Like if something were to go catastrophically wrong, because lieutenant governor is here, they can respond automatically and not have to wait for him to get here. Yeah. So I don't know. Weird. It's kind of weird, but I we should actually really look into why that is. But um, <laughs> so this happened like I don't know in the middle of the six pandemic. months ago or something. Brad Little left. Lieutenant Governor Janice McEachin, who is a right-wing lunatic, um, I mean. uh, made an executive order without Brad Little's like consent to that. She does still need his consent to make any decisions, I do believe. Like, she can't just... Out- You're going to explain well, the she's story. Well, still, she's still doing stuff. Explain the story, and then I'll jump in after. Um, um, yeah, she, she made an executive order, basically, to ban any kind of mask mandate in the state. School districts businesses whatever everywhere. it is everywhere yeah everywhere that that the state has authority over and oh, Brad are came... you saying her yeah yes she did that she did it the lieutenant governor did it janice mcgeechan but your governor wouldn't meet with the female president of boise state because she was female he's met with her no 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 the governor's met with her there's a couple legislators yeah that... there's some legislators who haven't but he's met with state her. Le- some state legislators are that's another story for why yeah that yeah that's a completely different and, story and i'm sorry we're getting in the weeds but is your lieutenant governor not the head of your state legislature in idaho i don't think she no. is the way it is in michigan because no. i'm like shit is inconsistent yeah. right now okay 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 continue I, yeah, sorry i just yeah what does the lieutenant governor do i don't I remember look. we should look we should no, we, we should, should really dive some. actually more into this unlawfully sign no one wants to dive in idaho politics <laughs> no maybe i'll do an episode by myself anyways i'll join you i just will hate <laughs> myself for it. anyway i yeah so so and then when that happened brad little came back and he said uh absolutely not this is a gross like disgusting way to use your power yeah. when i'm gone so he leaves for Texas today and to my, go to the border. Yeah. Mind you, he's going to the border because of course, Idaho is now a border state. So that's great. And also sending the national guard down there to support Texas and yep. their border. Yeah. Things. Sorry. I keep jumping in. No, there's I mean, just so it, much wrong with so, this story. <laughs> it, so he's doing that. Right. And he's like, I am doing this great thing on behalf of Idahoans. I'm protecting the border or whatever, because you know, that's Republicans rallying cry is the border and people who aren't white are bad and whatnot. But, um, <laughs> So <laughs> Janice McGeechan goes out and says, I'm amending. As, acting, as acting governor. She, we already, word for word. Yeah, as acting governor. And we already have, so Brad Little signed an executive order that says that no state institution can have a, ma- a vaccine mandate, which, 
problematic. But McGeechan comes out and says, I'm amending the executive order to make sure that there are no vaccine mandates and there are no mandatory testing mandates. And you can't have a vaccine passport anywhere. Yeah, so there's not even like a chance that's that we can put any protective measures in place anywhere. And Governor Little tweets, I'm in Texas representing the great state of Idaho at the border. Oh, I don't even want to read it. But <laughs> but and then he's like, I will be um reversing everything that she does when I get back. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck, guys? Holy shit, you know? I don't know. That's my tangent. It's just so batshit insane. I don't really have a reaction except holy shit. So, God, you guys don't have sh- I mean, do you guys have anything? Uh, my tangent at this point is what the fuck is wrong with Idaho? Like, I mean, right, seriously. In little, okay, in Little's defense here, like we can just use the tangent for In Little's defense here, he is being ran aggressively from the right. He has yeah, he is. a libertarian who's also a little bit of an anarchist who's been arrested for breaking into the Capitol running for governor. His lieutenant governor is running for governor against him and is doing all of these things. And there has been fears that a more moderate version of all of them is going to potentially try to run because Brad Little recognizes that he no longer has a pulse in the state and he needs to kind of posture. Hence, he goes down to Texas because Idaho's the number one border state in America, apparently. (laughs) Um, So, like, to his credit, a lot of what's happening right now is, like, I have to do this because me as an option is better than literally any other option you have right now and he's not wrong he's been a he was a good governor i actually don't think he's been a bad governor he, that's the thing he, he did just, well in the pandemic he's in personally. a very radicalized right-wing state yes he's a moderate republican let's not forget of all the states that had like a take back your state rally idaho was one of them idaho yes. a unified republican state that already had started lifting mandates had literal groups of people in front of the Capitol with their trunk signs, yelling, angry, all of those pieces because he hadn't moved us out of stage three or yeah, he hadn't moved us out of stage three yet. We were in stage two. So there were still some capacity limits because we were still in the heat of the pandemic. So I, I find it hard not to like at least give that context for him of you might disagree with him, but what he's doing right now is a purely political survival thing, not so much a this is how I believe, at least in my opinion. I would I would agree with that. It is pretty it, the whole situation is just insane. Stupid. Anyways, Torrance, why don't you take us on a tangent? <laughs> You're so angry. I mean, yeah, so I was already struggling to figure out what my tangent was today. And then you said that shit in my brain has only been running in a circle about how like my point this weekend. <laughs> Terrells, I'm not coming to fucking Boise. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stepping foot inside on, on those states' grounds. Okay, Boise is um, the most liberal part of the state. So. That's not saying much. Yeah, it's truly not. saying a lot. Um, it's like <laughs> so it's we're like if Cinema uh, and Collins had a child, they would name it Boise. That is 
Exactly. Not voting well for Boise right now. Am I wrong? (laughs) I mean, just take my comments about those two respective people today. (laughs) You've gotten my opinion about Boise then. I actually think Boise itself is a little bit more liberal than you give it credit for, but it it tries very carefully not to be or not to be not to message it that way just because of the state legislator, because we have a weird city state thing that happens here in the legislator technically has power to say, Boise, you're not a state anymore. (laughs) So they have control over those cities or you're not a city anymore. Yeah. I don't know. This government in Idaho is okay. Fun. Well, here's my tangent. No, <laughs> I'm actually running on this tangent with 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 Idaho because you guys have just broken down a few of your guys's laws to me um, yeah. that are absolutely flabbergasting. Uh, specifically, this state that is pretty much top to bottom Republican as far as power goes. Yep. And except for a couple cities, the Republican Party and conservatives have, on on the whole subscribe to an ideology of small government i've heard nothing to that point about oh it. that's not even the nothing worst of it, to that point and so quite frankly today my tangent is fuck the continued hypocrisy of republican <laughs> party and sorry mom and sorry grandma for my constant cussing but you know i'm a big fan of the f word i was like that's not even the worst of it during the pandemic the legislature voted so that the major institutions here cannot institute any Mass mandate, vaccines, all of that jazz, unless it's brought to a formal vote by the state um, school board. And then the state school board still has to get it certified by the legislature. They can't just make that. They can't just bring all the colleges there and say, oh, you guys are all in agreement. Cool. They also, before that, this was the public health district's responsibility. So they could have just instituted a mass mandate for a university if they needed to. But because they had done that, the legislator literally was like, nope, this is no longer your power. We're going to put it into the state board of education, which is kind of a subsidiary of us. And we're also still going to make sure that they have to check with us if they're even going to take that step. And then for school districts, they can't do any mass mandates without the governor approving. But the legislator is actually a little annoyed with that and kind of wish they would have just done the same thing they did with colleges. That's literally not democracy, what you guys are doing. It's not. I, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's actually no. we have a committee. We have a Idaho. committee on federalism, like the separation <laughs> of states and indoctrination too. Yeah, the separation of states and the federal government. That is the only committee that can meet right now because because of the pandemic and all the things that happened. The House actually never adjourned; it just went on a long recess. So currently, the House can meet at any point in time, which is a whole other story in and of itself. But the Committee on Federalism is the one standing committee that has met throughout the recess. And they actually, and this is the part of the story that gets left out, they actually gave the lieutenant governor the idea of what happened today because they just wrote up a bill that they're calling for the legislature to have a special session immediately to pass so that no entity in the state of Idaho can do any type of vaccine requirements, this and that. Which is wild because... That's already a thing, though. Like, Brattle already had an executive order for that. But private businesses can. They need to actually make it a law so that, like, Tree Fork couldn't have done it or Pride oh. couldn't have done it, which is why they're trying to do it right now, but no one wants to talk about it. So, yeah, that's, well, that's the know, state of I Idaho. guess we've definitely gone on a tangent here. But also, Idaho doesn't fund early childhood care or education, so are we surprised? No. Terrell, do you have any tangents for us tonight? <laughs> I feel like I, I've jumped in on yours enough that I don't need to add anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. 
<laughs> I think that might be our show then. We love it. I, I do want to note before we uh, head out of this episode of Dangerously Likely that next week is our one year anniversary of us doing this Ooh. podcast. And we are basically going to do a mailbag episode where we will take audience questions. So if you have any questions, um, if you know us, obviously you can just text us. That's fine. But we also have an email in our podcast description, um, dangerouslylikely at gmail.com that you can send questions to. And Terrell, I believe you have some more. I was telling you to do it. <laughs> Terrell also wanted to let you all know that we have an Instagram account at dangerously underscore likely um, that you can uh, direct message us at or DM as the youths like to call it. <laughs> Your I only, questions. I only use Finsta as um, my main oh, no. social media app. Oh no. Stuff. But anyways, yes. yes. And, we, and we will also be posting on our Instagram over the next week where you can comment your questions as well. Yes. We're excited. Don't forget to subscribe. Well, you know, that's been our show. I'm Torrance. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>